Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. But you know that already because you've heard me say that a million times already. And I'm your host, Roman Segal. And in today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ray Kazmarek at Jenison in Indianapolis. Uh, what a great guest Ray was. He has uh, an incredible background. Um, you know, CEO of Jenison today has been in the sector for over 25 years, including uh, you know 20 years specifically in, in the biotech and pharmaceutical operations. Um, he's held really interesting roles at various firms, including uh, you know, uh, Nito uh, Avicia Pharma. Um, he was founder at OC Biotech Consultant. Uh, he worked for Trilink Biotechnologies. He was also a, a VP of Manufacturing and Supply Chain at Pesira Biosciences, and he also spent some time at YF Bayer as well. So really rich background. And his career has seen him support you know, neutral development and clinical operations, commercial operations across biologics to where he is today at Genesin. You know, listen out today for, you know, Ray talking about the uh, cell and gene therapy space and what a booming space that is right now and how Genesin are very much at the center of that potential, I suppose, next era of drug development as a cure, not not necessarily just a treatment. Um, Ray's got a, a big stint of his career spent in the military and it was, it was fascinating to hear him talk about how he's taken some of those lessons into business leadership. So listen out for what those are and, and certainly try and take them in your own uh, in own businesses as well. Uh, Ray had the opportunity uh, and experience of taking a drug from clinical trials to commercial supply when he was on the vendor side. So, uh, sorry, on the sponsor side, and uh, that's really quite an interesting take as well to hear some of the challenges and and how that all worked out. Uh, and finally, listen to him talking about fishes in Indianapolis, which is a real interesting. Um, uh, region at the minute that I'm certainly seeing a lot of development and it was when I was at DCAT recently in New York it came up again and again and and I genuinely think it could be a real hotspot for uh, life sciences and certainly manufacturing in the next few years given uh, the presence of some big pharma companies there as well as always thank you so much for listening to molecule to market it makes my day when I see a new review on the app store so please do me that one favor today and give us a nice review so we can get the podcast into the ears of others. If you haven't checked it out already, go to the Molecule to Market Pod website and all of the episodes are on there. The back catalog of all the episodes are on there and plus some some specific content that's designed uh, for you guys as the listeners. So taking some of the things we've learned on the podcast and repurposing so you can digest them uh, in your own time. And finally, if you haven't picked up a copy already, uh, my book, The Floundering Founder, is out on Amazon. So please uh, buy a copy and let me know what you think. Enjoy today's episode. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. And because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. Hey, Ray, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. 
pleasure is all mine. It's taken um, about a year to get you on the show because you are a very, <laughs> very busy man. So I'm, I'm very grateful for, for you making the time in your, in your busy schedule. Just to start off with, Ray, um, it would be great to give the listener a bit of a overview of of who you are and your background and you know how you've ended up in you know your role at Genizen today so kind of uh, feel free to kind of go into as much depth as you want around your background and and how you've ended up where you are today well thank you um so i'm raymond kasmerick i'm the ceo of Genizen. uh Genizen is a easy way to say it is we're a cdmo of viral vector manufacturing for lentian retroviral vectors so my background is rather interesting in that it's uh, 27 years of leadership, but only the last 22 has been in biotechnology and pharmaceuticals. Uh, what I've learned a lot in my background is around operations. I'm an operations person from the start of my time when I was in the United States military to the time that I transitioned into pharma to the time I transitioned into more biotechnology. Uh, what I've found over my years of doing this, that it's, it's always important to understand the, the reasons why we do the things we do, how we create a quality product for our customers, and then how, how we inspire our people to be better than who they were today and where they are going to be tomorrow. So as I look at where we're looking to take Jenison and how I arrived at Jenison, it really comes back to uh, an evolution of myself in the last 20 years or so of understanding the pharma and the biotechnology scene itself. As I started getting into this type of activity, I understood that therapies, uh, they come and go. Uh, but when you start getting into cell and gene therapy and you start understanding the background around what it could be, you're really talking about technology now where you turn your body into something that it's never been. It actually cures or heals itself because we're actually changing the way our body reacts to a disease. So as I looked at operations, what it can bring, the discipline, the organization, the design, the build outs, the rapid growth, all those types of things, I started seeing that biotechnology was a great opportunity for me to really feed my inner soul, but also really feed what I do. And, and that's really around trying to help people and grow organizations. So, so again, that's the basis of, of Ray. There's a lot more on my, bio, my biography on LinkedIn, but the reality is it's, it's really around growing organizations, helping people, and really at the end of the day, it is around helping patients. No, that's uh, that's fantastic. And I was going to ask you about your military background. As a military aircraft goes over my head, which is uh, <laughs> which is quite quite apt. Um, you, you, I was going to ask you about your time in the military because you spent quite a chunk of time in the in the U.S. military, and and you used some interesting words in the start there. You know, operations and discipline. So we've had a few guests on that have had a military background, and I find it fascinating to see how they've taken some of their learnings from the military into what they do leading organizations today so i'm just interested to know what did you learn in the middle during your time in the military that are now fundamental or things that are so crucial to the way that you operate in your leadership role today so one of the key things that i learned in the military uh, first and foremost is you have to take care of your people uh, when I went into the Corps of Engineers, I was in a combat operations role. Uh, I've always had been in that type of a, a leadership role leading into that in my training. 
Uh, but what you really learn is how to take care of people. You have to ask the right questions. You have to understand that not everybody will think the same way or feel the same way, but you also have to understand how to provide purpose to the individual. Uh, as I translate that over to what do I do today, it is around mission, vision, and values, right? It's around creating an opportunity for the organization to see what can we do to be a part of something more than who we are. How do we help patients? How do we help clients, right? It's, it's giving them that background. And then also providing a sense of purpose for the individual that works in your organization, whether it's the executive who's trying to really create something on that side of the business to make, make a facility run better, or create the science and technology organization, or the individual coming out of college who tells you right off the get-go they want to cure cancer, but they haven't had the experience to get there. So how do you help them think about the pathway and what they need to do? So in essence, first thing was people. The second thing that I learned in the military that I easily can translate over, it's really around organization. And when I mean it by that, it's around understanding how to put parts and pieces together to make them work in multiple situations, to have flexibility, to say, okay, so the design of this uh, organization was specifically this way, but in this situation for, for this activity, I'm breaking it up and I'm breaking it up because it makes sense to do it. I don't have to stay in one realm or one setup. But it's also important to say when I break that up, that I'm going to put the right people in the right places and then I'm going to let them lead. I have to let them act on the things that they know how to do, the training that they have. So as I translate that into the organization, when I look at in business today, it is really around creating a flexible organization that's able to service clients' needs. Uh, if you look at the last two or three assignments that I've been in, it's been heavy around contract development, uh, manufacturing, analytical testing. So there are no two clients that will ever be the same, and there are no two product platforms that are exactly the same either. What we have to understand is that means the teams themselves are flexible. We have to train people on the technology, and then we have to allow people to do what they do best, to be the leaders they are, to take that to the next stage, coach them, mentor them, nurture them, and then you'll see success. Yeah, so, so those are the two big things that I know that I can say it easily translates over. I think the third thing that really hits and it really hits rock bottom is around uh, operational discipline. And what does that really mean? You know, in the military, things are life and death, right? Things are you have to do these things to survive. You have to do this specifically to be in the appropriate spot to support the team or the unit you're supposed to be supporting. Well, how does that translate to what I do in pharma biotech? It's the same thing. I have to show up on time. I have to be ready to perform the tasks that have been assigned to me, whether I'm in upstream manufacturing and growing cells or I'm downstream purification, or I have to show up at a specific time to ensure that the fill line runs in an appropriate way. So the product that's being manufactured can actually be put into a final container. Uh, so it's creating an understanding of job performance and discipline and what that comes down to. What that translates into the cultural piece is really a mantra that I have always stated since the pretty much day one of being in pharma over 22 years ago. It's you do things safely, you do them correctly, you do them on time and every time. You do them in that order and really it's non-negotiable. 
You could call it cardinal rules, but the essence is you never put a person or patients in harm's way. You always do the right thing. You do something, and if you're doing it well, you want to keep repeating it so you do it every time the same way. So it's just a little guide that I tell people you follow those steps. It always takes you to the right direction of compliance, of understanding, and really a foundation of quality products for your patient and your client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I love the mantra at the end there around, you know, so such a simple, simple mantra to communicate to your team to ultimately produce consistency and kind of never compromising on patient safety, which is obviously so important on the kind of contract manufacturing side of things. And looking back on your experience it was interesting. I was curious to know, you went from obviously your time in the military and then you spent uh, into the, you went into the pharmaceutical sector at Abbott and then Bayer and then uh, Wyeth obviously became Pfizer. What, talk to us about what you learned in those kind of early phases in of your kind of career in terms of on the I suppose in the pharmaceutical world because you'd come out of military and also curious how you ended up <laughs> in the pharmaceutical it was it did you have an interest in manufacturing or was it just a a chance opportunity that that took you into into this world in reality for me to go from the military into pharmaceutical was uh, I'll just say it's truly a chance opportunity um, I had no vision in my mind when I started the military to ever um, in my career uh, at, at almost five years. I was medically retired due to an injury and a training accident. Uh, and then I needed to find something else that, uh, that appealed to me. When I looked at the different types of industries and the other opportunities uh, that were presented, uh, I could have gone into oil and gas. I could have gone into uh, services, you know, doing uniforms, building things, sales. Um, but when I really looked back at a couple of the opportunities within the pharmaceutical sector, uh, I reflected on what I thought was important to me. Uh, I've always thought about selfless service, and that's what drove me into the military. And as I look at what people have to do in pharma and biotechnology, they really have to have a little bit of a selfless service attitude. If, if you go in and you're saying, I'm just here for the money, you're never going to produce the product the same way all the time. If you're here saying, you know, I have to do something to make somebody better and I have to think about this therapy I'm making actually is going to allow somebody to cure themselves now, right? That's the cell gene therapy stuff we're talking about. Uh, If you can't feel that service to another individual, uh, it becomes difficult. So for me, this was a natural transition. It actually pulled straight to my inner core, what I thought from a cultural piece, what I cared about as a person, and uh, it moved me there. Now, I will tell you that the, those, those core things get challenged with the, the volume, the activity, the number of clients, the, you know, we have to do a million vials of this that first year on this line and when we're doing that daily and having to get it packaged out and the, the stress that gets around it. But the, the end state to that really is around customer service. It's thinking about how am I going to make sure my client gets what they need because we have a volume and there's a reason that I'm being asked to make a million of these things a day. Uh, it's because that's how much is being consumed as we start looking at uh, the total worldwide capacity that it was being served. So, um, again, without that medication and that medication was a pain medication, that means people are going to be in surgeries, post-surgeries, doing things, um, you know, 
after accidents or whatever, and they're going to be in pain. So not delivering on those types of things, not making that available. Uh, actually, you know, it's, it's a quality of life issue for others. So if you start reflecting on what you have to do, uh, you understand that, yes, I may have had to put 12 hour days in when it's normally an eight hour shift. Yeah, I may have had to work some Saturdays, but I also learned how to develop organizations, uh, create some of the cultures where we can start understanding how, again, to work better as a team and then streamlining operations. So my first three assignments, the easiest thing I can say is I learned manufacturing inside and out. I learned a lot about qualities, quality systems. Uh, you know, there's obviously the differences in pharmaceutical or, or difference in you know, other organizations when it comes to quality and its documentation requirements. Uh, but when it comes to actually solving the problem, applying the problem, you know, applying the solution to that problem, and really following through with its execution, it's like any other industry. So those two things dovetail in, but it does require you to have the discipline to truly fix the problem. Um, so in those early years, learn to collaborate, learn to lead people in a different type of environment, learn to deal with customers, interactions, regulators, uh, high volume uh, opportunities, low volume opportunities, you know, batches that are, three to four million dollars and they're only 25 vials. So you just got a little bit of everything uh, from a high cost to a low cost to, you know, something that's a, a fun new experiment that's uh, early phase clinical to commercial. Um, so, so again, for me, it was a great opportunity and those experiences are sort of what shaped my foundation of understanding of what it took to get a product from basically the starting blocks coming in through the doors and everything else in the, the preclinical commercial side through to a commercial launch and then post launch saying, okay, with example, if you had uh, Wyeth in there, Prevnar, when I started, they were very limited in their capacity and they had actually outsold the capacity of the manufacturing facility by almost 35%. So starting there, we had to grow immediately the capacity to match the sales volumes. Those operational excellence terms, the collaborations, the line balancing, all those things you had to take into account and shifting and, and reforming teams with uh, the right types of leaders and sub leaders allowed us to actually do that very quickly within the first year to balance the that piece, infuse about 10 million in capital to scale up areas over that time period. And then we had the ability to produce in excess. But again, those are the learnings you get by doing, by being there, by being in the trenches and seeing what it, what it takes to, again, not just launch a product, but sustain and grow it. And then like say on the front end of it, understand what it takes to even make it, create a process that's repeatable, and then be able to test that product, release that product on time and get it to a point where, uh, again, it's, it's acceptable in a clinical trial and now it's repeatable as a commercial process in a high volume. It's, um, it's fascinating to hear some of your, I suppose, key ethos around discipline and operations and purpose come through with your own career. And uh, <laughs> it's almost like looking, looking in a mirror in terms of the reflection you see in some of the things you ask of your team, you obviously kind of lead by example. And I, I noticed when I was doing a bit of background research in terms of your career, you spent, I might get the name wrong, I think it's Pasira in, uh, over on the West Coast. You spent 
a good five years there on the, I suppose, the drug development side, assisting with manufacturing. I'm interested to know, obviously, you know, share your experience of working there and what that was like, but how how does being on that side of the fence, so to speak, help you in your role today, I suppose, on the contract services side? And I suppose you've, you've presumably been on the buy side and that gives you, if I've understood what that business does correctly, yes. I might be totally wrong. Um, That's a buy but, side, yes. <laughs> so it's, I suppose just, I'd be you know fascinated to hear what that experience was like and how that then better equips you today as a CDMO to then better service your clients because you've had the experience of being <laughs> being on the sponsor side as well. I yes. Uh, so Pasira and I think believe they go by Pasira Biosciences today. Okay. Uh, Pasira, when I started with that company, it really was um, a great idea taking through a clinical trial where they had a liposomal based product and uh, it was a non-opioid pain reliever and that product um, needed to be made at a larger scale. They had equipment that they wanted to scale up, but they didn't have the ability to put the teams together at that point in time, finalize the process and then launch it. Um, So coming into that organization, I was given the opportunity to take everything I've been talking about from early phase development to stabilizing processes to making something that's translatable uh, into scale uh, and then taking that scale and in launching that and then growing it as well as we go from a company standpoint. Uh, yeah, it's a sponsored drug. It's a, it's, you know, like I say, it's a bupivacaine that's a liposomal based drug. Uh, the beauty of that company was, is they had great individuals, very intelligent, and they knew a lot about the, the product itself and how it worked. Uh, so all we really had to do is bring in a small team of individuals to really start thinking about, how to script and drive this to a successful piece. So creating the organizational structure, creating the vision of what it's going to look like three, six, nine, 12, two, three, four years down the road and explain how we're going to grow a manufacturing organization from a basically a clinical manufacturing and research team in a very rapid way uh, is what the challenge was about. And that's what I pretty much had to deliver on. Uh, what I again, what I loved about that opportunity is it had everything from the supply chain side to the manufacturing challenges to the quality uh, analytical challenges of making sure we refined assays and uh, clean those things up. It became a big problem solving exercise. But the reality is with good people, given the opportunities to lead teams and small teams that, in their pockets of expertise, we were starting to see a great uh, momentum turn. And uh, pretty much within the t- two years there, the company went from a a line of limited capacity to being able to finally uh, oversell or I mean over manufacture what they're selling to building a capacity line that will give it a pathway to a potential billion dollar drug, uh, pending on the de- growth and development of their commercial organization. So uh, so those those times allowed me to think about things in a more strategic way uh, as I was taking a larger role in moving, you know, main systems rather than just uh, smaller teams and building those systems out. And then again, talking to the leaders about what's around the corner. How do you see around the corner? How do you create your, 
your vision and your look in your crystal ball and make it go from a really dingy color to something that truly is crystal crystal clear. And then it and then for me, the greatest experience was the first time I got to connect uh, in my career directly with commercial operations and sales operations and really aligning uh, the sales force, training parts of the sales force in getting involved with uh, how we would service that organization appropriately, both from a uh, subject matter expert perspective with clients to ensuring that we can do large sales and pushes and changes within that and, uh, and support their strategy for actually building the brand and building the, uh, the reliability of it. The one thing we always agreed upon at Pasira and that the, uh, the CEO uh, at the time, and I believe he still is the CEO, Dave Stack always reminded me is we would never wanted to get in a situation where we promised product and we promised pain relief and we could never deliver. And I took that to heart and I always made sure when I was there that that was the first and foremost that whatever we said we were going to do, we were capable, we were in line, and we were able to deliver that to a patient because that that's the worst thing in the world to say, I'm going to relieve your pain. And then, oh, by the way, I don't have the medication. We never wanted to hear that. So um, again, passion for the team, passion for the, the product, uh, what it did, um, and as I looked at, look back on it, the ability to change and transform an organization and connect it to the other parts of the business that it wasn't connected to at the time. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. Because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. Did you guys manufacture things in-house or did you guys use vendors to help you guys get to market? and go through that phase. I'm curious to know how you found that experience of managing third-party vendors if you had to, and also <laughs> how does that change your pers- perspective on being a service provider today? Uh, so so at, uh, at Pacera, uh we did both. Uh, we've, the first part of the organizational strategy was simple, is we have to build out the base core of the manufacturing. So the first couple of years was really around establishing a process, building it out, and then refining that process so it could actually be tech transferred. Um, until we established that, it didn't really make sense to consider driving the organization to build out additional capacity at a third party. Uh, Strategy-wise, the transformation occurs. Over time, we realize, okay, we have a core book of business that we want to have, but if we were to say accelerate, get into different markets, get other indications with this drug profile, it would require us then to be able to pretty much double or even triple the the production of that drug. If we wanted to take it to Europe at the time, we would need to do that. So we did actually get into uh, discussions around creating an organization and that organization rolled up with me under creating the CDMO side 
bringing it in-house with external manufacturing and managing external manufacturing. With my experience uh, working with Abbott Laboratories, uh, so my experience uh, that also prior to that, I worked for Bowringer Ingelheim, which was a segment of that was contract and development manufacturing. Um, I understood the opportunity to use that background in this current branded strategy to understand how to create the contracts, um, discuss the tech transfer so it could be successful, and then make sure that we had a process that could go forward in those discussions. And then again, the volumes, the costing structures, those types of things were not, um, were not new, uh, wouldn't say, would, would not be new to me uh, in that I've already experienced it. Uh, so leveraging the past experience actually made my role at Pasira much easier. I knew what to expect. I knew uh, how to read uh, how to read a room when somebody doesn't answer a question a certain way that you already know. Okay, there's a hold in this area specifically. Uh, you also understood where the pushback was specifically uh, around things in contracting and in the in the initial rollout stages from those CDMOs, and then that's where you can actually use your experience. As a, as a leader there, but also as a branded leader to develop and actually optimize those sections. So both companies find a way to yes, and they both are really truly a partner. Uh, so, so that gave me great experience to be able to do the work at Pasira. And then when I'm in Pasira, now working back with the CDMO, I started realizing, okay, if I took another assignment as a, as a leader in a CDMO organization, fundamentally some things have to change for CDMOs to think about being true uh, partners in relationships, uh, where you're going to have more open and honest conversations, um, getting to sit with those individuals and really start talking about creating strategies around how do I enhance and be your manufacturer of choice uh, and, and generating those types of discussions organically rather than waiting for the client to come to you. So as I think about what I'm trying to do today as a leader in, at Genizen, it's specifically that we're trying to create partnerships with the people that are coming in. And it doesn't matter if this is your first drug candidate and this is the first time you've done this, or if you're a larger organization and this is how we do it, right? You're basically want to dictate a process, dictate a transition, dictate those things. You're still a partner and the level of partnerships can be easily defined and developed. So what I what I start seeing today with uh, this Genison team is trying to mold them to think about customer service and delivery, mold them to think about how they can be better as a partner to the organization they're working with, and keep asking the question, how do I become your manufacturer of choice long-term and carry your programs through? And I, I will say that is the basis of what our commercial team does. That's the basis of our program management team. And as we start standing up operations, you'll, we'll find that the, the leaders that engage with our clients will be asking those questions as well, because that ultimately gives best customer service delivery and an understanding of what that product is and a true ownership of that product. You know, we're not just making it because you asked me to do it. We're making it because we believe in it. Uh, and, and that's really where I think the job at Pasira really enhanced my ability to think about what I really want the team to be uh, when we're here at Genesis.
And that's a, a great segue actually into Jenison, which was where I was going next, which you've uh, helped me beautifully there, Ray. Um, Jenison, for anyone that doesn't know, you know, give us a bit of an overview. And I, I noticed, you know, almost this concept of being a CDMO that is going places. You also mentioned obviously being in the kind of selling gene therapy space, which is on the brink, I suppose, of its the golden era or the hottest space in the market right now. So would love you to talk about um, why did you join Genizin? What is the business? You know, what is the space like that you operate? Because from the outside in, it seems like a, a very exciting organization. So I'll, I'll first start off with, you know, who, who we are, what is Genizin, right? Uh, Genesis was founded in 2014 and it really was founded in necessity to be able to help uh, farm or biotechnology type customers work with academic partners and do manufacturing in early stage, uh, viral vector manufacturing, cell manufacturing, analytical testing. Uh, and over the years, it's transformed to where, where I came in in 2021 is to build out its own current manufacturing designs and create its own process development teams, labs, analytical method systems, uh, GMP manufacturing suites. So the company itself, uh, it, it really decided to, as I look at it, become a true contract development and manufacturing organization that will really truly focus on lentiviral and retroviral vector manufacturing. So it's, it's narrowed in focus um, and it needs to be because these things are very specific in how we design them. Um, we've decided as an, as an organization, as Jenison, that we're going to hire and assemble uh, a very talented team of experts, and we're going to focus on supporting clients in early phase processes. So this company today really only focuses on early stage development, process development, analytical development through phase one and two GMP manufacturing of your vector. Uh, it can go further. We can build out commercial facilities. We can do all those other types of things. But today we're starting where we know our clients need help. It's transitioning those who are more academic into regulatory formats and then traditioning and positioning these teams of more experienced um, organizations through a manufacturing process in a timely manner that supports their op tempo for clinical trials. Uh, so why did I join? Uh, for me, this is a great uh, company with good people, uh, a wonderful vision, and it's a technology that I believe uh, will continue to develop and uh, being a part of that technology and allowing companies to present opportunities for patients to basically cure themselves. Um, I found it extraordinarily interesting in being able to provide that service uh, it, it ties right back into a little bit about, again, who I am, um, but a little bit about what, you know, Jenison is. And it's, it's, you know, supporting everything that we can do to treat patients. Uh, and so we start thinking about those things tying together. It, that ties into me. So in essence, Jenison's uh, a good reflection of their thoughts, their values, their build, their des desire to build and construct things uh, fits my my mantra, uh, bringing in people and, and developing them and putting them in the right positions to be successful and then servicing client needs. You know, all those types of things feed me. But again, it's a huge thing in this industry that I'm seeing. Uh, with respect to cell and gene therapy, uh, we've had a lot of discussions 
around cell and gene therapy itself, right? Um, what technologies will ultimately be the best? Um, you know, it's always uncertain and, and then they will play out in time and we will see new things happen and we'll see innovation within the, the space of how we do the development, how we do the manufacturing. And some of those things will be game changers. Uh, some of those things will be adopted slowly. And uh, when you start seeing those uh, so things actually hit and move forward, people will look back and go, well, why didn't we do this 10 years ago? Um, but the reality is, it's just it wasn't understood well enough. But cell and gene therapy itself uh, has a great opportunity to change the way we view medicine, uh, to change the way we view, you know, not just treating a patient, but curing a patient. And, uh, and I think we are starting to see on, we're seeing the, the first parts of that coming out with the CAR T medications now, where we're starting to see the true successes or ability for those things to happen. We're seeing the opportunity for people to target cancers and those types of uh, diseases they never have been able to really uh, target with uh, small molecule type uh, pharmaceutical drugs and those things in the past. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. I, it, it's fascinating to just hearing you talk about the Jenison journey as, a, as an organization and only, you know, eight years, less than eight years old and actually going from academic to commercial manufacturing requires a huge amount of operational experience and uh, organization and discipline, hence it makes a lot of sense that you, you were seen as the right person to, to guide that. And I love what you said as well about the, the, looking at these therapies as cure and just generally changing the way that we view medicines, which is why it's such a such a, an exciting space. And when I was at uh, DCAT last week, it was interesting. I had the opportunity to meet several companies who reside in uh in fishers in uh in indianapolis or in 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 the state of indiana not too well well, exactly where you're based and there seems to be a real buzz about that part of the country in in the us right now love to get your perspective on if that's what you're seeing if if i'm way off and is this going to be just you know another area that shows promise and actually you know there's a handful of companies or will it become, I suppose, similar to what we've seen at the RTP, obviously West coast and Boston. And, you know, we have a lot of clusters across uh, the U S but, you know, does fishers have that potential to become a real powerhouse in, um, in, in life sciences in particular in the, in the kind of supply chain and, and drug manufacturing side from, from your vantage point. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be the next RTP, uh, but what I will <laughs> say, it, be, be brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what I will say is, um, so what I have observed in my short time, you know, less than a year in the Indianapolis Fishers area, I've, I've observed a few things that are for me as a CEO saying, okay, why would I put a company here or as a client, why would I take my product and put it in Indianapolis? There's a few things that I observe really quickly. First, the people that are in the Fishers area that are working with us and are coming to that area. Okay, so it's not just the local Fishers people will drive there, but there's accessibility of the local community from Indianapolis, south, north, you know, even east, west type position. It, it has a good logistical stream when it comes to the ability to travel. Right. So what I find is the people there are, are very... Um, 
they're very intelligent individuals willing to learn new technologies and they had the capabilities to do it. And when I, when I say it that way is I look at the technical schools, they may not have heavy biopharmaceutical programs, but they have good science-based programs. And then I start looking at the colleges, the local colleges that we have, you know, everything from the main campuses of the university of Indiana to Purdue university to Notre Dame, all those are right here. We've got, uh, we've got key uh, universities and colleges in Indianapolis that have good science and health-based organizations. We have uh, the surrounding community in, uh, in Indianapolis itself is getting more into cell manufacturing and cell therapy-based things with the health systems themselves. So we're seeing the uptake of new technology within cell and gene therapy being born in and manufactured in the early stage of development with these institutions and in conjunction with these universities. So I start looking at the, the people that are here. They're, they're very intelligent individuals. They're starting to learn the cell and gene therapy portion of it. Like really what is a viral vector and how do you make it? You know, not a lot of people understand the ins and outs of a viral vector design, what it is, what you can do, what it does. But what they understand is the concept. They understand the base science around it. And then they go and that's where they, a team like my group can take them and show them the basics, teach them what it looks like. And they pick up in, uh, on that concept well. What I think Fishers does and I think the state of Indiana is also doing is they, they've made a very, um, very considerate way of going about trying to bring in more uh, pharmaceutical services and biopharmaceutical into those areas and creating uh, right now it's a smaller park that could easily expand but we've got we've got a biotechnology based park where they're bringing in companies and helping them with set up for, for greenfield opportunities. They've got acreage, they've got infrastructure, they've got all those base things being built. And when you look at Indianapolis now compared to an East Coast, West Coast, the, the cost of labor is a national pool, right? You're gonna pay for labor no matter where you are. Uh, if you, when you say, I want a very smart, talented, 15 year experience person, you're not just looking in one location. You look for them nationwide. You may even look for them internationally depending on what you need. So the cost of the cost when it comes to people, but when you talk about the cost of land and the energy, the building, the infrastructure, and the ability of the local community to support that growth and build, uh, it's tough to beat uh, that type, that area of Indianapolis because there is a lot of support from the local community uh, for that. And there's an understanding of what needs to occur to build the infrastructure. And, and again, where I feel now I'm competitive with anybody else is I've got the same type of talent that everybody else has, but I now actually have a cost structure that's a lot less than if I was parked on a coast, whether it's in Boston or down in San Diego or up in San Francisco, because the, my, my costs of manufacturing are a lot less. And then when I also look at the one other key thing is logistics, period. Can I get things in and out of the city and get things in and out to my facility? And can my clients get in and out to come see me? I mean, if my clients take three days to get uh, to get to see me, well, what does that mean their product's going to take if I have to get rushed to uh, rush to a clinical trial or rush to a, a site to be do a conversion? Uh, we actually can get in and out of Indianapolis. The design of uh, the city it has a good airport. It has a good 
logistical systems where you've got the FedEx hubs and some of the larger uh, groups there. It's got the infrastructure now that supports the trucking and storage. If you just go just a little bit south of us into Kentucky, you've got some of the larger distribution warehouses uh, in the United States and the designs for those types of things. We are really in a central hub when it comes to the ability to grow and scale. So, so right now I see it's the early stages. Uh, I could see fishers easily tripling, quadrupling in size over the next 10 years in biotechnology and pharma because of the efforts they're making and because of the support of the state. Uh, the governor himself specifically has talked about creating a better environment to continue to bring in newer biotechnology type companies. Um, but let's not forget and, uh, you know, it's always give a cheap plug to the big guys, but, you know, it is, you've got large facilities with Eli Lilly and company and Roche right in Indianapolis. And people sometimes forget about that, but it has actually seen biotechnology and device work and, and pharmaceutical there. Um, you know, I would say it would be a competitor would be South of me, but you know, one of the largest, uh, CDMOs in the, uh, the United States and possibly what I think top five in the world is Catalan. And they're, they're right here too. So clearly there's an opportunity to grow Indiana technology, but also in Fishers specifically, uh, this is now becoming a hub for expansion and the community itself is expanding rapidly to support it. Uh, you know, so the infrastructure is there, work-life balance is there, the schools are incredible and the, uh, the infrastructure is going in around this organization to build out, you know, homes and communities that support a healthy way of living in the state of Indiana that also, again, attributes to the potential growth and the growth of our company. Well, you heard it here first, listener, you know, uh, Fishers, Indianapolis, Indiana, in three years time, I uh, suspect will be even more cemented on the on the map for all the reasons Ray just said there. Ray, we, we've got a couple of minutes left and I've really enjoyed hearing your kind of insights and uh, kind of career history and I've made lots of notes in terms of learnings just by having this conversation with you. I suppose my final question today is you've, you've obviously talked about the selling gene therapy space and I suppose looking at that part of the market is or the need to look at it is a very in it from a different different perspective is almost a cure rather than, than just treatment. Any other major trends that you're seeing, you know, we're in a post-COVID world, um, biotech funding is slightly reducing from what we can see. Interested to know whether that's impacting your business or are you seeing the trends that many of us are seeing, which are, you know, it's a good time to be a CDMO. It's an even better time to be in the cell and gene therapy space, but love your perspective. And especially if I'm wrong, it's always good to hear. I'm, <laughs> I've got my uh, information incorrect. It all depends on what space, what technology, what you're really looking at. Um, whether it's been reduced a little bit or it's growing dramatically. The bottom line I look at with cell and gene therapy and the technologies we're talking about, there's still a very healthy investment going into these technologies. This the past year alone, um, although although we like say we're seeing a shifting in dynamic environment, um, things have grown dramatically. Billions of dollars are being dumped into these types of technologies and companies. We're seeing new companies start up every day with a, a different uh, gene of interest, with a different uh, indication that they're trying to, to cure. Uh, the real key in my mind is thinking about 
what is it that we need to do as an organization and, and does it really fit uh, with what we're seeing from the technology piece? So, you know, post COVID-19, we know that there's really three to four big things that have changed how we view things. And this is where, you know, a company like Jenison fits these types of models, right? So the first one is, you know, speed to market. You know, we went from thinking some things may take decades to taking, oh my goodness, I'm, I've got something in 12 to 18 months and it's, it's viable, right? Um, flexibility. Um, not one drug candidate will be the same as another one and may not be this manufactured the same way. Uh, and that technology itself, it requires a heavy investment and that investment is occurring in just not just selling gene therapy manufacturers, but in the individuals creating, uh, creating the technology and the, the, the systems for scale up and purification, all that you're seeing that investment in there as well. Uh, global supply chain. Yeah. It's, it's always been a challenge, right? But if you have a good team and you start understanding those challenges, can you actually work with suppliers and do collaborations and uh, look at eliminating those supply chain challenges by changing the technology and design of your processes? You know, those are some things that we do at Genesis when we create our platforms, right? We, we try to minimize that type of impact. And then global talent, right? Where everybody's going to fight for it. So for me, is it a great time to be in cell and gene therapy? Without question. Uh, are we going to learn a lot in the next 24 to 36 months? Uh, we're going to be much smarter tomorrow than we are today. Uh, will we see new technologies and spinoff of technologies come out of this? There's a high probability we will. We'll see other things develop. The mRNA technology itself uh, is still in the early stages, but the, the potential for it is, is there, right? Um, a lot of the properties and principles of what we do are, are very similar. It's just it takes different types of activities to create mRNA versus a viral vector. Um, but they have a, the same type of thought pattern when you start looking at cures and methodologies. Um, so for Jenison and why I think Jenison is positioned to do these things, um, I think, you know, we've created a center of excellence in our development organization where we can take a product, we can transform it. We can try to minimize, uh, the designs where we would have supply chain constraints. We are flexible in the operations that we put together. And then we've got, again, talented people. And then we've got an infrastructure that's allowing us to bring in newer people and train them um, in these early stages and they can carry them on to later stage programs. Uh, the other key thing we start talking about with, you know, Center of Excellence is also be able to create the infrastructural and design. We opened up our PD facility uh, last year. Uh, we basically had everything up and running by the end of the year, full full client uh, interactions in the first half of this year. So it's fully up and running and it's being filled very quickly and utilized. And uh, the first, uh, basically by the end of Q2, our GM faci GMP facility will be open and running. It'll be fully utilized by the end of this year. Uh, we'll be doing everything from cell banking to viral vector manufacturing. And then Shortly, we're going to be announcing the, uh, a large thing, and I guess you could say you hear it here first, too. We're going to, the next phase of operations of build-outs will be occurring at Jenison because the opportunity is there to uh, continue to build the organization to enhance patients, uh, patient supply. So we'll be adding additional process development labs, uh, doubling the size of our QC lab, adding a couple more manufacturing spaces, more cell, uh, cell banking, viral cell banking areas. 
um, extending their our warehouse and really creating an infrastructure for our employees and our clients to work in, right? So it's a nice way of saying, we're going to improve the office areas. We're going to give you better technology, right? We, we know we need to because we're, we're in a hybrid world today. We want clients to be able to see what they need to see and not have to worry about, you know, extensive travel, um, especially if they're if they have some limitations of what they can or can't do uh, in, in this today's environment with the you know, COVID sort of, sort of post COVID. But again, what we don't know is what else is going to happen 12, 18 months from now. We need to be able to be flexible enough to support people who may or may not be able to travel. Uh, but we also want a workforce and as comfortable, a design that works well and helps facilitate that, that happiness and the, the work center itself, but also within client interactions. So all that together, it's another large expansion that we'll be doing. It'll fill, fill out that 75,000 square foot piece that everybody sees in our site master plan when they read our website. But the reality is it's right around the corner. It's needed because this space uh, is growing still rapidly. And again, it's Selden Gene. We start saying, is there always a need for this? There is because the manufacturing capacity right now is very strained. Uh, and we can see how we can help uh, alleviate that as a CDMO. Well, you heard it here first on Molecule to Market. <laughs> Listen to all the exciting plans at Genizen. And thank you so much, Ray, for taking the time and being a guest on Molecule to Market. I found uh, it really interesting to get your insight into, I suppose, your career and your journey to date, but also the incredible work you're doing now with the Genizen team. So, massively appreciate your time ray thank you for being a guest on molecule to market thank you for having me i truly appreciate it hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market pod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.